Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. If you want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, um, if you are not familiar with the Bible and you want to open it up, kind of open it up to the middle, start turning to the right, eventually you come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At the end of that is a book of called Acts. Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke, the gospel account. And actually, in historical, it's believed historically that the book of Acts and Luke are actually one book that were put together and eventually separated. So, I love history. Do y'all like history? Anybody like history? I'm one of these guys that likes history. And I like to dig into, I like, I'm cur- one of those curious, weird, curious people that like, I'll see something, read something, and I'll go, ooh, let me research that, and I'll, I'll dive down that wormhole. And so, you know, like, I decided since it's Memorial Day, let's, let's figure out a little bit about more about Memorial Day. Where does it come from? Where does it originate? Actually, Memorial Day originated in, in 1866, called Decoration Day, where communities, uh, one of the first communities was Columbus, Mississippi, in 1866, in April of that year, and later in May of that year, Waterloo, uh, New York, celebrated this. They went out and decorated the, the graves of uh, Civil War soldiers, and to commemorate their, their sacrifice. And so they, that's where it started. And it's in 1868, General Logan, who was the head of the army, pronounced May 30th as Decoration Day or Memorial Day to memory, in memory and honor of those people who had fallen in combat in 1868. And so you go through the years and you have things like the Spanish-American War, you have World War I, World War II happened, you have Vietnam, or Korea and Vietnam. In, 18, in 1968, under Lyndon Johnson, Memorial Day was officially recognized as, as a holiday, a federal holiday, and the first or the last Monday of May of every year is Memorial Day. And so that's where we get our history of Memorial Day and where it comes from. And so we want to uh, memorialize those who have given sacrifice. Thank you for those who have served. Uh, but also those who have given the ultimate sacrifice in service to our country with their lives. So that's kind of rat, that was the wormhole that I dove down one day a couple of day, a couple of weeks ago when I started preparing for this sermon. And I like things like that. I love history, so I love to dig down. I, I'm interested. One of these days, I'm going to be able to look back and, and find out who Rufus is in Romans. Towards the end of Romans, Paul is bringing greetings and sending greetings, and he talks about this guy named Rufus which means redhead, by the way. And so he's sitting there, he's talking to Rufus, and he, t- he says, send greetings to Rufus. And I'm wondering if that Rufus is the same Rufus that Mark in Mark talks about. Rufus in the book of Mark uh, was the son of the man who carried Jesus' cross. And I'm wondering, is that the same guy? I think it is. I have pretty good... In the research that I've done, I think it could be because Mark pulled his, his it might have been, he might have known Rufus and got his, some of his account of the gospel and what happened on the road to the cross to Golgotha and got it from Rufus. 
So I love history. And I would put this slide up for the timeline of things that are going on. We're in this thing called the story. We've been talking about it. It's been going on since January. We started with the book of Genesis. And we talked about the beginning and the seed that was going to be sown, the seed that was planted. That, that At some point in time, the devil who had tricked Adam and Eve, our first parents, had gone, and our first parents who had sinned in the Garden of Eden, that one day... God was going to crush the devil's head. And we looked at that last week, and Joel brought a great message about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now we move into the next chapter of this. Well, how's this going on? I love the story that we've been going through because it gives us this grand picture of the Bible and what the grand picture of the Bible and how all this stuff that is going on, these little stories that are happening here and there, how it figures into God's grand big picture of what he's doing throughout Scripture. And so we come to the book of Acts and you have this going on. You have, you have the Acts happening in about 30, 30 to 35 AD. We're not sure exactly the time frame so far as the calendar goes. But you have right after Jesus' death. And so you have Acts chapter 1, 13, 16 and all that. You have the books of the epistles of Paul when they're written. You have most of the epistles of Paul are written in the time frame of Acts. Then you have Paul goes into prison. He comes out of prison. And then he writes... Uh, First and Second Timothy and Titus, and then you also have the rest of the general epistles except for James. James and Galatians are one of the first two epistles. James, the brother of Jesus, writes an epistle. So that's kind of your timeline, so you can kind of see what's going on historically in the time frame and how things are fit together uh, as we cover the book of Acts the next two Sundays. Today we're going to look at Acts chapters 1 through verse, uh, chapter 10 and look at the historical events that happened that shaped the early church. Now, the book of Acts is written to a man named Theophilus, and now I'm interested one of these days to find out who Theophilus, Theophilus, Theophilus that's not easy for me to say, right? Theophilus is. The name Theophilus means friend of God. A simple name. Now, there's some, there's some speculation about who Theophilus was. Some people believe that Theophilus was a Coptic Christian in Alexandria that Luke was writing the book of Acts to. Some people think it was actually Theophilus was the lawyer for Paul in Rome. Some people think it might have been the brother of a high uh, Roman uh, official who actually became emperor Vespasian. And then still others believe that it might be a Jewish priest. We're not sure who Theophilus is. That's all we have on him is his name, friend of God. But obviously, for Luke had this mindset that he needed to write some information down, some historical record down, and he did it pretty accurately. And so you come to Acts chapter 1, and here's how this movement begins. The movement of the early church. How did the movement start? First of all, in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, you have Jesus coming down. He's, he's rose from the grave. He spent times 40 days with his disciples. And he comes in, he's at this point, he says, it's almost time for me to go. He gives them some, some, uh, some information. He says, stay in Jerusalem, which is important, because what's about to happen is a festival called the Festival of Pentecost. We'll talk about that here in a minute and what the Pentecost actually is. He says, stay in Jerusalem. And they ask him these questions. They start asking questions. You know, curious type. I would be the one that would be asking questions. Okay, God. He says, okay, Jesus, is it time for you to set up your kingdom in Israel? 
and he gives them some important instructions that we need to know today. Remember today, it's not about times. He says, don't worry about the time and places, times and places that God has ordained, God put together. Don't worry about the times. And then he gives them these instructions. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the world. God gives these instructions to his disciples. Jesus does. He goes up and to be with his father in heaven. He ascends. Now, I love the ascension of Jesus because it's an important aspect of what Jesus does, because that means Jesus is our high priest who's sitting there with God, who is making petitions on our behalf because of what he did on the cross. That is an important aspect and function of Jesus as our king, as our Lord. And so when I look at the, what Jesus did on the cross, that's important. And that's the biggest thing that happened. He rose from the dead. That's a big thing that happened. Guess what? His ascension into heaven is a big thing that happened because it means he is there. He is our high priest. And that is a beautiful thing to think about, that we have a high priest who's gone through the things that we've gone through. He's been tempted. He's been tested. He's been tried. He was crucified for us. And he sits there before God and he pleads our case all the time. When we make a mistake and sin and we ask for God's forgiveness, Jesus says he's one of mine. My blood covers his sin. What a powerful thing to think about. So Jesus' ascension into heaven is an important aspect of who he is and what he does as a function as our high priest. So Jesus ascends into heaven and then you have the next thing that happens after Jesus' ascension. You have the, the angel comes down and tells them to go to Jerusalem like he said. And then you have the choosing of Judas's replacement. And a curious little thing that happens here, because an interesting thing, because what happens is the church, the people that are there, about 120 people, Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers are there, all the disciples except for Judas are there, and about 120 people total are there. They're praying together. And they decide they need, Peter stands up and decides, says, hey, look, it was prophesied in Psalm that Judas was going to betray. We are told, given information about Judas and what has happened to Judas since then. He had bought a field. He had committed suicide, uh, killed himself in the field. He hung himself there. And we're told that in the book of Acts. And so you have that happen. And they say, okay, in Psalms, but they were supposed to choose a replacement. We need to find somebody that's a replacement. Now, the replacement had to be somebody who knew Jesus, that had seen Jesus and been a part of his teaching ministry in some capacity there on earth. And so they find this person, they find two people that are qualified candidates to be the replacement for Judas. And they do a peculiar thing. It's an Old Testament thing. It's called they cast lots. In fact, it's the last time in the New Testament we see the casting of lots. There's a theory why that is. We have the Holy Spirit now. We don't need to cast lots to de decide where we're going, what we're doing. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. We have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that helps us make decisions, help us to be wise and do things the way God wants us to do and go where God wants us to go, act like God wants us to act. And now the Holy Spirit's there. There's no need for casting of lots anymore. So they cast lots. The lots fall on Matthias. Matthias becomes the next disciple of Jesus. And you have that happen. And the, Judas' replacement comes. Then Pentecost comes. Now, Pentecost is an important uh, thing. Remember, we said Jesus told his disciples, stay in Jerusalem. God works things out his way. He's got a plan for everything. 
He tells his disciples, stay in Jerusalem because Pentecost is an important celebration in the life of every Jew. It's the festival of weeks. They would actually speak, take time and read through the book of Ruth. It's also 40 days, celebrated 40 days after Passover, which is 40 days after Passover is when the books of the law, the Ten Commandments, were given by Moses on Mount Sinai. And so they would celebrate those things. And so there's people in Jerusalem from all over the place, everywhere. There are people from faraway places, Jews that are come from faraway places that are part of the celebration of the festival of weeks and the Christians that are there, the disciples that are there, are standing there. And as they're standing there, probably in the temp, near the temple court, in the portico or the porch, they're standing there and they're interspersing among the people. And all of a sudden, a great rushing wind comes through and fire appears over the head of the Christians. You want to talk about freak out. How many of y'all, okay, I'm standing up here and all of a sudden this little flame comes up above my head doing this. I'd freak out. I'd be running around looking. Okay, so, but this is what happens. The disciples there start talking. And when they talk, the people from all over the place understand what they're saying. They're speaking their language. You have people from all over the place. You have a people from Egypt. You probably have people from Spain. You might have people from Rome. You have people who speak Latin. You have people who speak Greek. You have people who speak Aramaic. You have people who speak probably some tribal language. And you have all these different types of people standing there in Jerusalem and they understand what is said. An amazing miracle that is happening. Of course, the leaders accuse the disciples of being drunk. Of course, Peter stands up and says, uh, well, we're not drunk. It's early in the morning. We hadn't started drinking yet. <laughs> so, but then all of a sudden, Peter stands up. And I love Peter. Peter's one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. Because Peter and I have the same disease. We have foot and mouth disease. The only time we open our mouth is when we're changing the foot we have in it. You know, Peter, who likes to stick his foot in his mouth all the time, Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Peter, who ran away. Here's Peter, a changed man. Because in John chapter 21, Jesus stood there before Peter and restored him right there. And you have Peter stand up in the middle of this group of people, bold fishermen from Galilee, uneducated. And he starts preaching. And he goes back into Joel, in these, in, into Old Testament prophecy about the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. And he looks at the people and says, this Christ who you crucified. He says, repent, be baptized, be forgiven of your sins. And 3,000 people come to Christ. Anybody ever been around something like that, where a lot of people like that came to Christ? I was in a Billy Graham crusade in Little Rock one time and, and saw a bunch of people come forward. But 3,000 people. You know, what, you know what my mind automatically goes to? The small groups pastor just freaked out. Because he's sitting there going, how are we going to get all these people into discipleship? How are we going to get all these people into small groups? Whoa, I don't have enough leaders. What am I going to do? 
Yeah, it wasn't the small groups, pastors. I'm just, just my brain. 3,000 people come to Christ. Y'all realize the miracle that's happening here? You see the importance of what's happening? The church is established with those 3,000 people. Added to the 120 who were in the upper uh, who were praying there, you have 3,000 people added to it. And the early church is birthed. Now, the early church had some struggles, had some issues that they had to go through. So had some problems, had some trials, had some testing, had some triumphs, had some joyous things, had many things going on for it. And here's the thing about it. They were a faithful witness of what God had done in Christ. What can we learn from the early church? What are those things that we can look at in the early church and say, you know, how can we apply this to our lives? How can we look at this early church that is just being birthed? And how, what are the characteristics? What are the things that they put together and they did that helped them to become the force that they were to bring people to Christ? The faithful witness of the early church is important. And what God did to use the church as a witness. The first thing I want to say is the faithful witness of the church demands a clear message. In Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter says this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter later says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out in Acts chapter 3 verse 19. In Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is a salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which they, we must be saved. The message of the early church was clear. Jesus is the only way. If you want to receive forgiveness of your sins, Jesus is the only way. Nothing else can help you. Nothing else matters. Jesus is it. He died on the cross for your sins to bring forgiveness of your sins. He rose from the grave to give you new life. He is ascended into heaven. He is the, at the right hand of God. And he's the only way to heaven. He's the only way to bring forgiveness of your sins. And that is a clear message of the early church. Constant throughout the early church's message is Jesus is the only way. They were not ambiguous about the, about the message of Jesus. Nothing else mattered except for the clear teaching of the message of Jesus. Now, that runs countercultural like in our society today, right? Jesus can't be the only way. Or come to Jesus because if you do, he'll make you healthy and wealthy. No. Come to Jesus because he brings forgiveness of sin. Come to Jesus because Jesus died on the cross and sacrificed himself for you. It's a clear message. We read this message over and over in the early church. The clear message of the teaching that Jesus is the only way. The second thing is the faithful witness of the church was powered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus had, Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit before Acts chapter 1 he reiterates the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. 
And we see the power of the Holy Spirit displayed on Pentecost. We see the power of the Holy Spirit displayed. Peter is, and John are preaching at the portico on, in, outside the temple. And the council, the high priestly council, call them in. And the power of the Holy Spirit fills Peter and John. They're able to profess that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah that they had been looking for before the Jewish uh, council. You have other aspects where the, the Holy Spirit is, power, is seen in power. You have Stephen who is stoned. And as he's being stoned, it says Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enters every one of us at the time that we accept and receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is there to empower us to be the followers of Christ God wants us to be. The Holy Spirit helps us as we live our lives, to make wise decisions, to do God's will, to be the witness that God wants us to be. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that infiltrates the life of the body, the life of the believer, so that they can be the light to the world around them. The Holy Spirit is seen throughout the early church, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that enables them to be the witness, that enables them to add to their number daily. The Holy Spirit is what brings you the power that you have to live the life you have. We all go through trials. We all go through struggles. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And the Holy Spirit is what empowers us to do that. We must live by the Spirit just like the early church did. The faithful witness of the church was guided by God's providence. You know, you ever seen one of those things, have one of those stories where things just, just so happened to happen a certain way? It just so happened. Sometimes those just so happened things are God's providence. The way God works things out. He orchestrates events and makes things happen. You have events in, in history in, or in the New Testament or in the early church that happened that way. Peter's preaching. He's, 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 he's preaching there at Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people. God orchestrated the events. Jesus dying at the right time, in the, at, at, right around Passover. He's being ascended into heaven right before Pentecost. He tells his people, his disciples, stay in Jerusalem so that, that you can so just stay in Jerusalem. He doesn't give them a reason why except for you to be my witnesses. Pentecost happens. This Holy Spirit comes. Peter's there to, to declare the glory of God and declare Jesus is the Messiah. 3,000 people are added. The church gathers together and prays together. People are added daily to their number. God orchestrates the events of history. Even the stoning of Stephen, which is a horrific thing, the first martyr in the New Testament. The stoning of Stephen is God orchestrating things for his will, his glory. A horrific event so that his church can flourish. God's providence is an important aspect and being guided by God's providence is an important aspect of the early church. It should be an important aspect of our lives as we live our lives. You ever get in that situation where something happens and you are able to do something for God and you look back at it and you go, man, just so happened it just so happened that way. No, God orchestrated it. God's providence put it into place. The faithful witness of the early church of their church was, was inclusive. At Pentecost, people from every walk of life were coming to Christ. Rich, poor, old, young, 
3,000 people. It was a, a, probably a, runs the gamut of the type of people that were there that morning that came to Christ. Because Christ, the message of Christ is inclusive. Philip goes out to tell the Samaritans about Christ. The Samaritans, by the way, are half-breeds in the Jewish eyes. They're part Jew, part something else. They're not very well liked by the Jews. But Philip goes out to them anyway to tell them about Christ. As he's going along, he runs into an Ethiopian eunuch who's reading the Old Testament. Philip sits down and explains what the scriptures say about the coming of the Christ. That man right there is baptized. He goes back to Ethiopia as a follower of Christ. Pretty powerful. The early church was inclusive. It didn't matter who you were, where you were from, what your socioeconomic situation was, what your education level was. Jesus came for everyone that has ever lived. We don't exclude people from that message at all. We don't exclude people from the interaction of life as followers of Christ either because of who they are, where they come from, or any other reason. We don't exclude people. The message of Christ doesn't exclude people. We don't exclude people. The dynamics of the whole church, this new dynamic, and this is a new dynamic in the early church. Because later on, even Gentiles were added to. Hey, we got to get in. Cornelius, a Roman soldier, Here's about Peter, and he tells his, his, his people, he says, go find Peter and bring him to my house. Peter, who had just had a pretty dramatic experience with some food and some pigs and some non-kosher food, realized that God was going to include everyone. Went to Cornelius' house, witnessed to Cornelius about Jesus, and Cornelius and his whole household came to Christ and were baptized. They were inclusive. The faithful witness of the early church spread worldwide. Jesus told the early church, or his disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts. Philip witnessed to an Ethiopian eunuch who went back to Ethiopia. That's why we have a large Ethiopian church in Ethiopia today. Have Thomas... Yeah, Doubting Thomas. We know from historical records that Thomas went into India and witnessed to the people, modern day India and witnessed to the people there. Paul, we know Paul went to a lot of places, but Paul went as far as Spain. We believe that he went as far as Spain to tell people about Christ. You have the witness of the church went worldwide. We have people around the world today that are Christians because of the witness of the early church and are followers of Christ. Today we are still, still to do that. We are to still take that example of spreading the gospel throughout the world and telling people about Christ throughout the world. The faithful witness of the church causes suffering. Well, this one is... Uh, 
not the fun one to speak of, right? This isn't happy Christianity. This isn't how to fix your life with seven easy steps. This is, hey, guess what? If you're a follower of Christ, you're going to suffer. Paul told a young pastor named Timothy, if you're going to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, Consider it pure joy, my brother, pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be full and complete, lacking nothing. If you're going to live for Christ and be the witness, you're going to go through trials. It's a fact. There's going to be times life isn't going to be easy. There's going to be times you're going to want to give up. There's going to be times it's going to get really, really hard. And guess what? We are suffering just like every other follower of Christ, true follower of Christ, just like the early church. We're going to go through hardship and trials. The early church suffered some crazy stuff. Stephen who had just been appointed as a deacon in the church to, to, um, to serve the Hellenistic Jewish widows and make sure they got the food that they were apportioned and taken care of, is stoned because of his love for Christ. Paul, who was probably it was, was standing at that stoning, and watched it happen. Later in chapter 9, we'd go get papers so he could go persecute Christians and kill Christians. The early church suffered greatly. We can go on into many stories of the early church and what happened to the early church. Paul was imprisoned. Later on, after he came to Christ, he was imprisoned. He was eventually killed for his faith in Christ. Peter was crucified. He requested that he be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified the same way his Lord and Savior was. In fact, of all the disciples, John is the only one that we know that died a natural death. But if you wanted to live his life, you had to be boiled in oil at one point in time and Exiled to a rock where you were by yourself called Patmos in the middle of the ocean. The early church suffered greatly. And there's going to be times in our lives that we have to, we're going to suffer. And sometimes it's going to be ridiculed for our faith in Christ. We're going to be uh, put down for our faith in Christ. But we have to realize that that is part of who we are as followers of Christ. And the Spirit empowers us to go through those things. Number seven, the faithful witness of the church demands integrity. In Acts chapter five, there's a story about a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. We know that the early church at that time was selling people, were selling their possessions and giving it to the church to help each other out. So they had food, they were taken care of. Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of property. And they decided to sell the piece of property. And the proceeds from that sale were to go to the early church to help the early church. 
We don't know exactly the apportion if they were giving all the proceeds or just a part of the proceeds, but they had decided in their heart they were going to give a, a proceeds of the sale of this land to the church. But they came along and they decided, you know what? They sold it for an amount and they went, we're not going to give it all that we said we were going to give. This is a troubling story for many people and, and because of what happens to the Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias walks into the and Peter's standing there and he sees God, the Holy Spirit fills Peter up and he realizes things aren't quite the way they're supposed to be. He confronts Ananias about the giving of what he was giving to the church and Ananias drops dead. About three hours later, his wife Sapphira walks in. Peter questions her about the giving of the proceeds of the of sell of the land. And she tells him what they are to give. And Peter responds with something very interesting. The men have not even left with your husband's body. And she drops dead. Pretty powerful story, right? Pretty scary story. The reason the story is there for us is it, because of integrity. The integrity of the church is on the line always. And the witness of the church is always on the line. We've seen it in the scandals that we have and have had over the years in churches where certain things happen and, and certain people act a certain way and, and things are not done the right way. And we, we always see that. and It's very scandalous. And the integrity, every time one of those scandals happens, the integrity of the church is compromised. Because the mes when the integrity of the church is compromised, the message of the church is compromised. And here the integrity of the church was being compromised. It was a very young church in its infancy and in its beginnings. And God understood that some things needed to be done in order to make people realize integrity was important at that point in time in history. He did something very drastic to Ananias and Sapphira to show the whole church the importance of integrity. And I'm glad God doesn't do that today because a lot of us would be lying dead. Including yours truly. Because we all make mistakes. But I'm going to tell you right now, our integrity is important. Who you are as a follower of Christ, what you say as a follower of Christ, what you do as a follower of Christ is important. You're going to make mistakes. Okay? We all do. You got to ask for forgiveness. You got to seek forgiveness from God, which He will give. You may need to seek forgiveness from other people that you have offended, which, if they are a true follower of Christ, they should do. And if they don't, they've got issues bigger than you. The integrity of the church is an important aspect of our witness to the world around us. There's so many times I hear a story on the news and I just go, why? Because the integrity of the church has been compromised. We must have integrity in the world around us. You will see the witness of the early church in Acts. If you read through the book of Acts, constantly the witness of the church is being helped because of the integrity of the people who are witnessing. 
And we have to realize that as church, as people who follow Christ, that are followers of Christ today, as a church today, our integrity is important. The faithful witness of the church demands unity. We're told that the early church in, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, that they were of one mind. They were together. They were of one mind. They had it together. Because they all were all that they had. See, here's what would happen in the early church. In the church in Acts, what would happen. A Jew was standing there at Pentecost. He hears Peter preach. He's convicted of his sin. He repents and turns to Christ. He starts becoming a follower of Christ. And as he becomes a follower of Christ, he tells his parents what had happened there at Pentecost and that Jesus was the Messiah. And his parents said, bye. You're cut off. See you later. We don't ever want to talk to you again. You're no longer our son. Or you're no longer our daughter. In the early church, that's all they had. They had each other. They were intricately linked together. They had to be unified. They had to be together. They had a common story that was important, that Jesus had forgiven them their sins. They were united under the message of Christ, but they were also united because of circumstances, because without each other, they will not survive. We don't have that problem today. Most of us can walk out this door and we can do our live our lives and it'll be okay. We're taken care of financially. Things will be, go okay. But here's the thing. Our unity is important. Because it's what helps us live together and live the life God calls us to live so that we can be the witnesses that God wants us to be. We are unified under one important thing, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that we have been forgiven of our sins because of what he did on the cross. We have new life because of what he did in his resurrection. We have the, and we have that message and we have that unifying aspect that we come together as a diverse body of believers. We are unified under that. And the importance, we're unified in mission that we want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread. We want to see people become faithful followers of Christ. And we're unified under that. We don't have the problems that the early church had and the suffering that they had and the way they went, the things that they went through. But we do have things that need to keep us together. And there's times that we need to stay together and stay unified as a body of believers so that we can weather the storms that come our way in our lives as individuals and as a collective body. And it's important for us to come together as a group of people here at Big Church together. But it's also important for us to come together in groups in small groups so that we can encourage each other, strengthen each other, empower each other, and help each other live the life that God's called us to live here on earth. We have to be unified. Unity is an important aspect of following Christ as a church. And it's something that Jesus actually prayed for in John chapter 17, verse 11. He says this, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. He's talking about the church. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus prayed for the unity of the church. He understood the importance of unity. We need to also.
Finally, the faithful witness of the church brings great results. At Pentecost, 3,000 people came to Christ. We're told in Acts chapter, later in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 47, that people were being added daily. You see things happen in the early church. You see an Ethiopian eunuch come to Christ. The results. You see Stephen Stone. But then you, later you see Peter or Paul come to Christ. And you see the witness of the church to go throughout the world because of Paul. The results of what the early church was able to do, that band of people that came together under the uni with unity, with harmony, with, through the holy power of the Holy Spirit. They were, the message of Christ is the only true way to God and salvation is only comes through Him. That kept them so close together that they were able to, to produce such great results for the kingdom of God. What are you doing in your life to live out these attributes that the early church displayed for us. See, we learn from history. We take history and we take its lessons and we learn from them so that we can be better people. As followers of Christ, we have a historical event that happened in the early church that applies to us today. How can you apply these things to your life today? So that you can be the follower of Christ that he desires you to be. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your blessings and your love. We thank you for the message of the cross that is so powerful and wonderful. And the opportunity that we have to live for you. Lord, we pray that we would live out the calling that you've put on our lives, that we would be the hands and feet to the world around us so that we would be the message and the light to the world around us. We thank you, God, for the message of the cross. And Lord, empower us with your spirit to live out that message every day. In your son's name. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.